Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 35 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job, and make a bigger difference even during the pandemic. Now, if your job includes fundraising from trusts and foundations, and you're always on the lookout for ways to improve your approach, then I hope you're going to find today's episode a valuable listen, because I'm about to share the second part of a recent interview I conducted with the brilliant Andy Watts, who is Head of Trust and Foundation Fundraising for Sue Ryder. I've known Andy for several years, and he's one of the very successful fundraisers that I interviewed for my ebook, Power Through the Pandemic, Seven Ways to Raise Funds with Major Donors, Corporates and Trusts, Even Now. If you've not yet read the book, you can download it for free at brightspotfundraising.com. And in today's episode of the podcast, we discuss a range of things that Andy and his team are planning to do over the coming months, including ways to steward and re-inspire existing supporters, as well as a way of increasing your chances when approaching prospective supporters. You may have heard the first half of our conversation in episode 32 of the podcast, in which, among other things, Andy explains his approach to deliberately seeking out real conversations over the phone with as many trust supporters as possible. Today's episode starts as I ask Andy about some of the results that this more informal conversational approach has achieved. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by Bright Spot Mastery Programmes. So if you need to increase income in corporate partnerships or major donor and trust fundraising, these programmes will help. As well as the advanced strategies you learn on the training days, you receive one-to-one coaching to help you put those powerful techniques into practice. To find out more about the Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programmes, head over to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. I think I interviewed you a few months ago and your strategy of proactively calling as many of the existing funders as you could was working out really well. At this time of recording, what have your results top line been in as much detail as you feel able to give me now? Absolutely. So we, in the last four months, have raised over 1.2 million from, from trusts. And just to put that in context, it took us... 10 months to raise over a million last year so that's it's quite a, a difference and, and obviously recognizing that as a hospice charity we we do fit in that frontline category so 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 context is always king but it's it's really interesting so i'm part of a, a peer kind of networking group with other trust fundraisers and with three other charities that kind of shared their results with me so um it was a an older people's charity a mental health and food redistribution so again you know on the front line but between us so those three and sue Ryder, we had over 10 million pounds from trusts and foundations in the last four months which which is incredible and and for them as well that was way above what they had achieved in the same period last year so this is as we know it's an exceptional time for fundraising but but it just shows i think how trusts and foundations have responded really to uh um to this and i'd i'd say also what's been really interesting for me is so i i kind of apply the pareto principle in our fundraising so that the idea that 80 percent of your support tends to come from 20 percent of your supporters and we've had 10 trusts that in the last couple of years have given over 80 percent of our funding so 
those are the ones obviously that we focus a lot of time on but interestingly only three of them so far have given and we've actually had five of our 100k plus gifts have come from trusts that have never given to us at that level before like these are ones these trusts we've all had well apart from one that we've had relationships with them and they've given at lower levels but it's been really interesting to see that actually if you had asked me at the start who i thought would give us the most it's not worked out that way and this question might, might be un- unfair and just not possible for you to answer but for the listener who doesn't work for one of those pandemic related causes what is your advice or what's your take on the mindset of trusts, do you have any thoughts that that might help someone who's having to apply for a different kind of cause at the moment? Sure, and and that yeah, that is a a, a real challenge, isn't it? If you are a, a, I suppose a charity that falls outside of that core group, and and I think if you are kind of lucky enough to have some uh, warm trusts already um my my sense is that still like say arts organizations for example they they've they've had some of their warmer trusts actually give uh significantly because they are kind of connected to the cause and they're passionate about what you do so i think that's that's always the starting point is is to to be speaking to your your warmest supporters and to that they've uh, they've obviously given to you because they care about what you do and and yeah hopefully that that will kind of give you the opportunity to bring some uh, some funds in yeah so the um whatever kind of charity or cause it is still this fundamental relationship first approach of getting as many proper conversations as you can with anyone who has ever cared and doing yeah. it that way can only help your chances of success and being near the top of the pile for if they are able to give at the moment absolutely i guess another thing i wanted to explore and you know we don't have a crystal ball but in terms of not so much predicting the future but your reading of what's going on now and the implications of what seems to be going on with government announcements and health announcements about the pandemic and the lockdown Based on that and based on what you see to be going on from the funder's point of view, I think you mentioned before you you, uh, listened to an interesting session at the IOF convention recently where some funders were talking about their point of view. I'd love to pick your brains on what you think is going on now and therefore what might be the reality for trust fundraising for the next six months. Absolutely. So, so like you say, Rob, I, I'd I'd really recommend the the IOF convention session uh, live on the other side of the fence. So uh, that that features it's a panel discussion between I think about four or five grant makers, including the Wolfson Foundation. So um, for for people wanting to get a glimpse into the minds of of funders, that that is a a, a great starting point. And I was really interested, so Paul Ramsbottom, who is the chief executive of the Wolfson Foundation, he said in that session about how he sees this year funds perhaps holding up and he wonders like 21, 22, that that could be, you know, the year where where things are particularly tough. So I think for those, when it comes to budgeting, uh, I, I think it would be good to be conservative um, when when we we all come to to do that for uh, for for next year. And I think like we talked about before, 
when you met one trustful foundation you've met one trustful foundation so each one is going to be different like so i was speaking to one uh, trust recently and they've actually they they've got a lot of cash reserves in place so actually the next couple of years for them they're well positioned to kind of continue their their grant making uh with you know relatively unaffected um by uh the you know the the stock market and investments and so on um others you know are, are perhaps in a more uh difficult position um, but I think as well, it's important to note with the bigger trusts and foundations that they've often got quite diversified kind of funding portfolios. So that gives them, I think they're often more able to weather these kind of crises that, that can go on and, and, and dips. And my, my sense is that for a lot of trusts and foundations, it's, it's kind of going into more of a recovery phase now. So uh, several that I've spoken to have, have said that they feel that they're, they're, they're done for the moment on like the kind of emergency appeals and then now returning to more of a, a business as usual. And it's really about being aware of the potential for a second spike and a lockdown and that obviously may change how they, they behave really. But yeah, I think it is just about kind of being in in conversation with um uh funders really and what and what our plan is in uh september which will be uh six months really since the the kind of pandemic really broke out is to to kind of go back to uh, a lot of the trust that we've been talking to with a short update and follow up by phone to kind of just find out where they're at uh, for the for the next six months and to explore with them how they're thinking about giving to charities particularly as so many would have given as uh, part of an emergency appeal like whether they would consider giving again uh, this year um, and I've already spoken to a couple who have given to our appeal and they've suggested that they might consider giving to Sue Ryder again in this financial year. So, so I think that's an important point. I think we're, we're trained as trust fundraisers often like to think, okay, well, it's one gift a year. And like that's most trusts will say that's how they work. But I would very much encourage people to base it on having asked the question and got the answer from a trust rather than assuming because you don't, you don't want to miss out on any opportunity. Yes. And to encourage that further, does your charity have more plans to create virtual events or webinars or a chance to do a Q&A with the, the, the head of nursing or something? You mentioned that worked so well for funders who had funded initially. Are there plans to do it again? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're actually looking at a, a series of webinars at the moment um, and, a, and a mix of national and local. So we've got um, plans, <coughs> excuse me, in place to um, uh, to do a virtual tour of a, um, uh, we just extended one of our neurological care centres in Scotland. So we're, we're planning with that, that kind of group of donors to invite them to that because obviously they can't be coming to see it in person at the moment, but that's a great chance to connect with them and then to see it very much as stewardship, but with the kind of question like we, we'd love to speak to you afterwards just to find out about, you know, where, where you're at as a trust and foundation and if we can, you know, uh, work together again. And we're planning another webinar for, for one of our 
uh, hospices locally um, as well, um, just to test that with like kind of local supporters um, and another national one in the autumn as well. So I, I think that that's a key key for us at the moment as it's the prime way that we can engage with a group of donors that um, and given the success that we've had that yeah we are looking at different uh, iterations really of 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 the the kind of webinars and uh, and yeah and just a chance to give them that update and give them that kind of sense of them being part of a group of supporters really of uh, similar to them um, for for Sue Ryder. And the reason I really like that tactic is it can work both for existing supporters and you can invite new ones that you're not yet working with and uh, especially now there are a few alternatives we've got to help them understand more and get inspired so that tactic can work for new potential funders i think a lot of the tactics we've talked about today are for the existing supporters and i think a tough thing about the pandemic is existing supporters many of them may be able to help but it's become harder to make cold approaches I, I know when you spoke at our breakfast club, so much of the growth, that 300% growth you were talking about, was achieved with doing better stewardship of existing supporters rather than having some magic formula for for finding new ones. You said then that's as difficult as it ever was for, for you or anyone else. But all of that said, if we're a trust fundraiser and we need to be making some approaches to people who haven't supported before, do you have any ideas for how you do that or tactics that are more relevant than ever for increasing our chances of a success with a relatively cold approach? Absolutely. So we have uh, seven uh, hospices based in in different kind of areas so a way that and, and we have a fundraising team based in a kind of community fundraising team based in each hospice and what i've done with each of them is to produce a, a document which has our kind of our key trust prospects and these are, are ones that we don't currently get support from and kind of have a very kind of a short bio on the particular trustees so like say if they work for as they often do like a a, a local company or that they are you know have a official position within that community of some sorts and from from doing that it's really about getting it on their radar so they the community team are obviously well prior to this they they were kind of talking to lots of people and meeting people locally and even now they they do have those those groups of local supporters that they're engaging with and so it's just a chance for them to kind of be on the lookout if there's any connections there. And recently we have received 15,000 from a trust that hadn't supported us before. And that came about because one of the, one of my uh, heads of fundraising at a local hospice, they had a supporter who had a connection to this trust and they approached them on our behalf. And just because we knew that the this trust um, supported uh, in the community where we had a hospice, they were they were willing to support. So, so I think it's the classic. If you are, even if you're, yeah, if you're a local charity, then then great. You're gonna. I'm sure you'll have supporters and people who know other people. So if you can just get get that out there, really about who that you're trying to speak to, that you can often find a way way in that way. And I think that's that that's kind of has worked for us well for us in in several cases i'd also say what's been really successful for sue rider during this time is a kind of pr led campaign 
Um, and again, like the context here is that we were, our cause was perhaps more prominent because of hospices and the, the pandemic and so on. So, so the environment was one that helped us do that. But I think that has, that has really driven our support because people have become aware of us from coverage in from media coverage that we we've gained and i like to think that even for you know other charities that if you can generate kind of media about you know what you're doing and and what your needs are that 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 can only kind of help people more people be aware of you locally or where you are and from that could could potentially uh, give you an opportunity because again we we got a, a trust that gave us a hundred thousand pound gift in part because they'd seen our chief executive on the television talking about how the government really needed to step in and do an emergency funding package for hospices which fortunately they they did they'd seen that and it really positioned sue rider for them to say okay okay we're going to give Sue Ryder, 100,000 um, alongside, actually, because they gave the same amount to Marie Curie. So they'd obviously seen, obviously, Marie Curie has a much stronger brand than Sue Ryder. But we, because of the, the media we gained, we were able to be seen in that way. And I guess some of the people may not be able to influence whether there is going to be that kind of a PR campaign. But a key thing they can do is if you are fortunate enough that your organisation is putting out some stories, being very proactive in how you you share those links and post those articles through your own LinkedIn and social media and so on, that is a thing uh, that um, is very doable. It's making use of the existing content rather than wishing there was content or expecting your colleague in PR to, to, to do all of the sharing? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think, like, I know some trust fundraisers have, as part of kind of, so trusts that haven't supported them before, but they, they want to get on their radar, that they, they perhaps sent a, if they've got a really good news article written about you, perhaps a feature on your services in a in a um, magazine or a paper, like sending that to the trust, so un unsolicited in a way, but just to say, you know, almost as an introduction. And it, I, I guess it adds that social proof, doesn't it, of, of, of kind of that it's not you writing about yourself. It is actually a, uh, a third party that is hopefully writing something really positive about you. So, um, I, I, you know, I think that's if you if you're a charity that fits with that trust's criteria, but perhaps they just haven't supported you yet, that that can be a great way to get on their their uh, their radar, really. And likewise, if you you know if there's perhaps a if you've managed to get kind of a coverage on TV and like a short news clip or something like that, that again sending sending that by email can be a way to I suppose uh, uh, engage. Yes, especially if they may have been saying no in the past because yeah. that's what their criteria were, but in the last four months almost everything has changed, including yeah. both your both the problems your charity solves and your charity strategy solving it and potentially maybe added flexibility in the trust's criteria. With all of that different, if you can send some kind of authority or social proof that is talking about a new problem that you have just been solving, and the journalist is writing up how the thank goodness your charity did, you know, yeah. it's all, I think the old rules are just are, people are likely to be more forgiving, aren't they, I think, now, of, of you kind of being a bit more 
bit bit more bold and and will, willing to to be more proactive i think given how much, so much of the old order and the old etiquette is is now broken down absolutely so um i always get so much from our conversations i really appreciate your advice but also all the examples you use to bring it to life uh thank you ever so much i look forward to speaking to you again in another conversation about fundraising very soon bye bye andy thank you so much for listening i hope you found hearing andy's approach to trust fundraising was helpful if you need to improve your results in high value fundraising for your charity then one thing that will help you do exactly that is the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, which is designed for trust and major donor fundraisers, and also the Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme, if corporate is your main focus. Over the last six years, these six-month programmes have helped hundreds of fundraisers to improve their skills, confidence, and fundraising results. The next programmes start in October 2020, and in this latest version, I've included powerful strategies that I've learned from dozens of outstanding fundraisers like Andy that I've interviewed in the last five months. The programmes are designed to help you overcome the challenges of the pandemic and achieve valuable major gifts and corporate partnerships for your charity. If you'd like to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. And if you want to get in touch or share this episode, I really appreciate your help in spreading the word so that more charities can benefit from this content that we're working hard to create. Andy and I would love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Andy is at AndyWatts27 and I am at Woods underscore Rob. Until the next time, best of luck with your fundraising and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot strategies with you soon.